Hi, my name is Dr. Pamela Prince-Pyle. This podcast is something unique. Hope for every season is something we all need, no matter which season we are in. And so we want to offer hope for your health, words for your weariness, and faith for your fears. Because in the end, hope can mean everything. Stick with us. Let's see what our guests source for hope. Welcome back to Hope for Every Season. I am so grateful for our guest today because she has made a significant impact on the education around hospice. And she's done it in a very unique way, but we're going to let her share a little bit about that. But I want to tell you about her. Penny Smith is a nationally registered hospice and palliative care registered nurse. That's a a title. She is a caregiver extraordinaire and has worked in all types and areas of hospice. But she has found a way to reach many more people through social media platforms. And that's important because in a world of fast moving society and not having the time to do the research on the topic of hospice, she breaks it down and makes it real and sometimes makes it fun. And so I am so honored to have you, Penny, and uh, I look forward to our talk today. Thanks for having me. One other thing I do want to also note, you and I both turned 60 uh, (laughs) this year, and I think 60 is the new 60 and it's fantastic. What do you think? Yeah, I'm fine with turning 60, you know, and you work with people who die much younger than that. It makes you appreciate being able to reach those milestones. Definitely. I'm looking forward to it. It beats the alternative. That's what I always say. <laughs> Getting old beats the alternative. I would rather not have to look old, but I know that's the price that <laughs> that's we pay a bummer. Old, so it is what it is. Or have the, you know, old age, uh, little aches and pains that I don't know if you do, but I do, <laughs> but I wouldn't go back. And I always, I love turning up the decade because I like look at it with so much hope and what am I going to do this decade? Because the last one was awesome. And I think as we look about life in general, if we can look forward, no matter what our circumstance with, with just hope and when we're suffering and we're in illness, sometimes it can feel like we're hopeless and helpless. But that is one of the things that you bring to the patient is giving them a voice and giving them some sense of control in a life that may feel out of control. And But one of the things as a hospital-based medicine, I practiced as a hospitalist for 33 years, um, is there's a lot of confusion for patients around the topic of hospice or palliative care. Could you share with our listeners uh, what the difference and then what's your role specifically as a hospice nurse? Sure. So palliative care is further upstream for a person. They can be terminally ill with any life expectancy or have a life-limiting illness. Um, They do not have to be terminally ill with a life expectancy of six months or less, which is the requirement for hospice. Palliative care and hospice are similar in that they are 
whole person care. They're not just focused on treating the disease. They're treating Mm -hmm. the whole person. Oftentimes there are symptom management needs and with palliative care, they can seek treatment. So they can, if you have cancer and you go on palliative care, you can still have chemotherapy. If you go on hospice, you have either made a decision to stop that treatment or there is no treatment available for your terminal condition. Hospice really focuses on end-of-life care. We are usually, the goals are going to be shifting from, you know, more curative to quality. We're, we're mm-hmm. looking at quality of life over quantity of life. So the role of the hospice nurse is to obviously do symptom management because many times with a terminal illness, there are symptoms that are going to occur. And, and so we are, you know, involved in uh, managing those symptoms. We also do nursing procedures, you know, accessing ports, putting in catheters, that type of thing. But also we provide education to the patient and to the family to normalize death and dying because people who are experiencing the death of of a person who have never been through it before can be really upset and scared when they see their dying person going through things that are perfectly normal. It's a perfectly normal end of life process, but it's scary to them. And so uh, a big part of our role is educating them on what is normal and what we can do for things and what things we don't need to do anything for. Also, you know, most people on hospice are going to be in their own home. And so we provide education to the family on how to take care of their dying person. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think hospice is 24-7 care, and it isn't. The majority of hospice patients will be in their own home, cared for by their family. And so we help them by teaching them what to do with their dying person, you know, how to turn them, how often to turn them, how to bathe them how to administer the medications, that type of thing. So we do a lot of training when it comes to caregiving for their dying person. I I just can't thank you enough, Fun, for what you do, because um, I've always said that a hospice nurse, it's not a career, it's a calling. And what inspired you to enter this field? Well, first of all, I'm an old nurse. I didn't go to nursing school until I was 40 and I went out of necessity. I was getting divorced and I didn't have a career. I'd been a stay-at-home mom, so I needed a career and nursing seemed like a kind of a fun, you know, career. And my ex-husband, who I was married to at the time, his stepmother had cancer and she died in a hospice care center about a year before I went to nursing school. So I had had this experience with these hospice nurses and was just so amazed by how they practiced um, with so much autonomy and their compassion and caring. And I just thought that would be something that I would like to do. Um, So when I started nursing, I was an LPN, a licensed practical nurse. And my first job out of nursing school was to work in a family practice clinic. I did that for a year. And then I went to a hospital to a med surge floor and I worked there for about three months. And then after that, uh, they do like a cyclical layoff of LPNs oftentimes in hospitals. Mm. And so this massive layoff. So I was laid off and I had seen a hospice care center being built. And prior to that, I didn't think LPNs could work in hospice. So once I was laid off, I thought, well, I'll look into it. And I went over there and sure enough, um, 
they were looking for one more LPN to to fill out their staff and mm. they hired me and I have pretty much been in hospice almost the whole time since then as I worked my way through school and became an RN and then got my BSN and my certification in hospice so it's really been the majority of my nursing career has been in hospice and I know that has to be fulfilling work. You're you're reaching people when they most need it, and you really are caring not only for the patient but but for the family. How, in the midst of that dying process, from the time they enter hospice, how do you emotionally uh, care, and can you offer hope during any period of that time? Yeah, well, that's a great question. You know, a lot of people don't, they, they're afraid to choose hospice because they feel like they're giving up hope. Mm-hmm. And we don't look at it that way. We look at it like you're not giving up hope. You're, you're changing what hope means to you. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas hope might have been to live until Christmas. And now that's not possible anymore. So what can you hope for instead? You can hope that you're going to be remain in your own home for the rest of your life, that you can avoid the ER, that you can avoid the hospital, uh, that your family will be supported, that you will have comfort and, and be, um, have your symptoms well managed. So, so that's how we kind of look at it. It's not giving up hope. It's changing hope. Mm. Um, as far as working in this field, you know, people often think it's really sad to care for dying people. You must, you must get sad when they die. You know, the expectation is that your patient is going to die. We know that they're coming onto hospice. They're terminally ill. Uh, we can't affect that in any way. We're not going to hasten death, nor will we prolong life. That's the hospice mm-hmm. philosophy. Uh, so what we do is our best to ensure that their symptoms are managed, that their family is well-educated and knows what to expect. And then when the patient dies, it's a job well done. That was the expectation. We knew that was coming. And if we've done everything we needed to do and it was a good death, then it's a job well done. And a lot of times, you know, you get more attached to the family than you do to the person who's dying because they get to a point where they're unresponsive and you're still going to see them, but it's the family who you're interacting with. And so there's almost a little bit more of a sadness that you aren't going to be seeing that family anymore Mm. than there is around the death of the person. I understand that. And you use the phrase a good death. And um, that phrase entered my life about five years ago with a actively dying patient in the hospital. And I had taken care of her on her many routes, back and forth to ICUs. And then the floor. And then on this particular visit, she was making the decision to not have any further interventions. And she had really wonderful questions of what will I feel, what to expect, what will my family see? And I was explaining all that to her. And I just I started crying because I knew I was going to miss her. And I had very rarely had that direct of questions in acute care medicine. And she grabbed, I was holding, sitting on the edge of the bed, holding her hand as we were talking. And she grabbed my hand very tightly. And she said, it's okay. It'll be a good death. That phrase stuck with me. And I began writing, you know, what, what is a good death and how 
do we get there? So much of that can begin even while we're young, planning for our end of life and living a life of legacy, a life of meaning so that we can reflect back on a a meaningful life and it helps gives us a meaningful death. But um, it just kept me on that journey and understanding through my years of practice, I'd seen good deaths and I'd seen horrible deaths. And I wanted to find a way to bring about more good And so that's, I start, when you started doing social media, I started writing and that's the title of my book coming out next year and a master's course in the UK. So I love that you use that phrase and we, we can't have a good death. It it sounds like an oxymoron, but what would you describe as a good death? Yeah. A lot of people would think of it as an oxymoron, actually. Um, A good death, first of all, um, to have a good death, a person has to reach acceptance. They have to reach acceptance of dying uh, because without that, many times people will have existential suffering. They'll be terminally agitated. A good death is a, a death that is in the place where the person wants to be, wherever that may be. And for some people, depending on culture, that could be in the hospital, mm-hmm. but usually it's going to be in a familiar surrounding uh, with people who are around them, who, who they want to have with them um, and in peace and comfort uh, would be a good death. But also, you know, it, it depends on the person, what they would define as a good death. But I mm-hmm. think, you know, overall, it's really um, one where it starts with acceptance. You have to accept. And mm-hmm. I like what you said about legacy. You know, um, when people say, well, I dress I address uh, death anxiety a lot in my um, TikToks because mm-hmm. I suffered from death anxiety severely when I was mm-hmm. in my 30s. And I always say the best way to alleviate death anxiety is to start to get in the discussion around death and dying, learn more mm-hmm. about it. So it's not unknown because we're going to be scared of the unknown, but also to get to a place of acceptance. And that doesn't mean you have to like that you're going to die, but you have to accept it because it's inevitable. And a way to get to that place of acceptance is through legacy work. It's through like getting out your box of jewelry and des- deciding who's going to get what and writing down, you know, what that meant. So the person who gets it knows, mm-hmm. you know, that type of thing is how you can start to wrap your brain around acceptance um, that at some point in your life, uh, you know, you are going to die. And I think that that uh, legacy work is a great stepping stone to get to acceptance. I uh, recommend to everyone that no matter your age or health, you begin thinking um, of that. I call it living with the end in mind. And because we know that death can occur in any way on any day, it's not always that awareness of it coming. Um, I recommend completing this amazing document that I hear you love too, called The Five Wishes. Um, Share with me and the listeners why you like The Five Wishes so much. The Five Wishes is written in a way that there's not a lot of medical jargon in it. It's easy to understand. It doesn't just address things like tube feeding or, you know, being on a vent. 
It also talks about how you want to be cared for if you're in the hospital and you're sick. Do you want somebody praying at your bedside? Do you want people to be cheerful? You know, it has all these different suggestions for what you might choose for yourself if you're in that position. It's just really easy to fill it out. It's it's not um, it's not like an in your face, you're going to die. You got to make a decision about a vent right now. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of a more gentle approach. I mean, it does address those things for sure, but it's, it's, uh, it's just an easier way. I think to, if you're especially a younger person to mm-hmm. kind of start looking at what would you want if you found yourself, you know, terminally ill. So yeah, I'm a big fan of five wishes. The beauty of it being such an advocate of health equity is depending on if it's print or digital, it's either five or $15 and it's legal in most States and has a presence in over 27 countries and including Braille. And even in other countries where it might not be legal, it still gives the user the framework for opening the discussion, which I I truly, truly value. And I recommend for, I started it with my family and it was a little bit hard at first. And uh, I've described being awkward where I bring, brought my mom and my adult children and then my group of brothers and sisters. And we did what's called a generational generosity gathering. And we all filled out our five wishes together. (laughs) Uh, And I did it on Mother's Day because I knew that I could get buy-in out of guilt. (laughs) (laughs) But it also, you know, it allowed my mom, who's statistically most likely to die, to not feel singled out with me having a one-on-one discussion with her. And I'm very clear, you know, very precise and what my end of life wishes were in kind of every circumstance. And so that also helped my adult children kind of process that. Of course, I had a 28-year-old son during this time who was convinced I was dying and not telling him. (laughs) (laughs) He got over that, you know. (laughs) But um, yes, I I just want to give them a shout out at www.fivewishes.org. It's a easy to navigate website and um, you just, you just really need to think about it and uh, consider it. And then talk with your doctor if you have questions or if you're already in hospice, don't think that it's too late to fill the one out. It's actually a very appropriate time. And I'm sure that you help people in that uh, journey of completing that as well. Yeah, and I, have- I say, even if a person has, you know, advanced directives or a living will or a pulsed or a most filled out, the five wishes is still really helpful because it does kind of drill down to the more personal things that you might want, not just mm-hmm. the medical decisions, but what you personally would want. And so um, same, you know, whenever I'm talking about them, I think it's legal in 48 states now. And um, I always tell people, look, if it, even if it's not legal in your state, it's still a great tool to be mm-hmm. able to fill it out so that somebody knows what you want, because that is absolutely um, 
one of the most important things about end-of-life care is ensuring that people know what your wishes are. That and not having to make decisions in the middle of crisis. Also, when you're in crisis, you can't even love properly or mourn properly. So yes, both both big fans. I was so excited to hear that from Ashton with uh, JDA Worldwide, who works with me. And I also would like to ask you, if you had one word of wisdom or one sentence of wisdom to give to a dying patient, what would it be? Well, I guess it depends on how close they are to the end of their life and if they're on hospice yet. Because if I knew somebody who was dying and they weren't on hospice, my word of wisdom would be get on hospice early. <laughs> Choose hospice early. Early. Don't, do not wait. Yeah. I, and I think probably uh, something I'd like to let families know is uh, don't be afraid to talk about the fact that your person is dying with your person who's dying <laughs> because oftentimes people are afraid to have that discussion and the dying person wants to talk about it. They mm-hmm. do want to talk about it. They want, they do. you can't really say goodbye if you can't, if you don't acknowledge that you're leaving. So it's important, I think, to, um, to be able to have those conversations when you're dying with your family to say, hey, this is it. I'm on my way out. And there are th- some things that you need to know so that you can have closure and say goodbye. And I th- often think the patient feels that departing time more intimately than, you know, doctors giving numbers or doctors giving dates. and. Um, for families, as hard hard as it is, is it's the greatest gift to open the discussion about what their fears are and hopes. Um, I describe one patient of mine. She she no longer hoped to live longer, but she began having hope about her heavenly destination. She began having hope about her daughter's lives and who they would marry and. Her hope changed and she was able to discuss that with a young daughter and husband that were losing a 35-year-old to cancer. So keep the discussions open. I highly, highly, highly recommend listening to hospice nurse Penny. She gives you wisdom in ways that you might not hear it any other way, but I love it. And so Penny, can you tell our listeners where they can find you on your socials? Yeah, I'm on uh, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and now I also have a YouTube channel. And my username is Hospice Nurse Penny on all of them. Well, keep up the good work. Got a great decade ahead of us. And yeah, hope you're doing fun things too. I loved your, was it Pat Benatar, your 60 video? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like... I, I'd love to do that, but I would be brave. <laughs> I couldn't believe I could pull that one off. I was, I, I it was, was fantastic. I wanted was to do fantastic. that for the longest time. And I, you know, I didn't have my boots. So we live in a cabin off the grid, you know, in the mountains and my boots are in storage at my mom's and I needed a bar <laughs> stool. I was like, how am I going to pull this off? And then my sister and I went to Portland and stayed in a hotel and I was like, aha. Now I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Well, you are 
a beautiful soul doing great work and continue to pray for your work and watch it. And if there's anything that I can do to help you, please let me know. Sounds like you're a rising star. And I am so grateful for people like you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So uh, for our guest, I just hope you join us next week for Hope for Every Season. And please follow Penny. Um, She has lots of wisdom. And I guarantee you, whether you need it or not, there's someone in your life that will need that wisdom. So remember Hospice Nurse Penny. Thanks.